Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Josh Plave. Thanks for being on the show, Josh. Hey, Whitney. Thanks for having me. Josh is a multifamily syndicator who specializes in streamlining the process of using retirement funds to invest in real estate. Through his company, Wall to Main, Josh provides all the tips and tricks needed to invest quickly, safely, and cheaply with an existing retirement account. Josh, thank you again for your time. This is a great subject or and topic because it's, it's something that seems to be made very complicated in our industry, but it's something that we all need to know. It doesn't have to be that complicated. I mean, we have investors, you know, doing this on every deal that we put out. Uh, and so, you know, we're going through that process with lots of people and trying to explain how to do that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to just hearing how you have really made some actionable steps for this and simplified this process for your investors and many others. So uh, welcome to the show. Give us a little more, Josh, about maybe where you're located and in, in your syndication business. Hey, everyone. My name is Josh Flave. I am from Denver, Colorado currently. I run Wall to Maine, which is essentially just a site where you can learn and understand how to effectively move your current re retirement account into a passively invested self-directed retirement account. Uh, it helps streamline the process for folks and uh, it comes from my own background. I started my first Roth IRA when I was 16 years old. So I got started really early uh, for whatever reason. I'm not sure why I've been interested in retirement accounts for so long. Yeah, uh, that's sort of where I started off with. Nice. So what's your uh, real estate business? Are you syndicating deals? Or are you working in multifamily? What, what does that look like You know, for these investors that need to use these accounts? Yeah. So I specialize in multifamily. We uh, operate amongst the, the Think Multifamily sphere. That's my mentorship group. And we look for deals across the, the South and Southeast, the typical workforce housing class, uh, B, C plus, that sort of thing. Personally, I got started when kind of a background of, of my story, I got started when my grandfather and my mother, a few years apart, passed away, and it left a couple of inherited IRAs for myself and my sisters. And I needed to kind of have a strategy of what to do and how to preserve their legacy, how to move it forward. Uh, at the time, I was kind of struggling with my own career, wondering where I wanted to take things and what I wanted to do. And so I realized that real estate was sort of the direction I wanted to take it through a you know long process that a lot of us go through rich dad, poor dad, web, you know, webinars, that whole thing, uh, you know, meetups and everything eventually landed on multifamily in order to get multifamily going and get it started. I knew it would take a, a bit of time to get that operational. We actually used our retirement funds to begin doing private money lending. So I began with that. We have a few of those deals still ongoing and we've been doing multifamily for the last few years as well. Nice. Well, let's jump right into, you know, just retirement accounts and, and actionable steps that, that the investor can can take that's listening to be able to use those funds. And even the operator, you know, as an operator, like I, I want to know these things as well, right? And so I hope the listener who's also an operator, you know, getting that first deal, you're having these conversations with investors. It's important that you understand some of these things and have some of these steps, uh, you know, ready to go. So when you're speaking to that investor, you can say, oh, no, you know, you can use your retirement account. And I would say, and a lot of people don't know that they can even use their retirement account in this way. Would you say that's accurate, Josh? I run into that all the time. Folks just don't really uh, have an awareness of the fact that you can use IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, really any kind of 
plan under the sun. I like to say that you need to have control over it currently. It, the way it would work is you need to, it needs to be with a custodian that you're currently choosing the investments for. And what I mean by that is if it's with a current employer, then you're going to have a hard time because you need to have, have the opportunity to do what's called an in-service rollover. And a lot of plans at employers don't allow for this, unfortunately. So if you're most of your, if the bulk of your retirement funds are currently with a, an employer, it's probably not a method you can do until you leave your current employer. But if you have funds outside of that, that it's a great opportunity for you. So what you essentially can do with a self-directed retirement account is you can actually take existing funds and they're not limited to stocks and bonds and mutual funds. You can invest in virtually anything you want. The only limitations are in collectibles like art, jewelry, or cars, in life insurance and shares in S corporations. But other than that, you can, as long as you know you think it's a viable investment, you can go for it. I mean, Whitney, you might be interested. I, the best investments I've heard uh, have been have involved racehorses, studying operations, things like that. So there's plenty of places you can take an account like this. Yes, you know it's interesting. I think I had a guest one time that that was investing in racehorses and and uh, they're syndicating racehorses. And I thought, wow, you know that's that seems so off the wall, right? But but he could have investors that's using their IRA to invest with him. Couldn't he? I mean, that's it's so neat to think about that. You know how far we can go with some of this. But you know, let's get to some actionable steps that the investor needs to know. Initially, it's like, well, where do I even go to figure this out? Like, I have this IRA sitting over here that I've been contributing to. But I don't know really what to do to to get it to that deal or that real estate deal that I'm trying to invest it in. You know, give us some actionable steps. Sure. Well, I'm I'm a huge advocate for checkbook control. I don't have any horse in the race, but there's no reason, in my opinion, to keep it at a custodian who uh, they're slower. They charge a lot more. They charge on the entire account base, uh, not on you know how much is currently being left at the the custodian. And it, it takes a while. You know, when we um, when we have a deal and we have the you know we present the webinar and the presentation, and then we have a fund deadline. Sometimes the fund deadline can be three or four weeks out. And oftentimes with a custodian, it can take that long. Paperwork might take a while. At some custodians, they just kind of drag their feet. Unfortunately, with checkbook control, it moves a lot faster. So what checkbook control is essentially is. There are these custodians that we're talking about. They are just like your current custodian that your account is likely with, a Vanguard, Schwab, a TIAA. Those custodians, they specialize in you know, stocks and bonds. Uh, their, their brokerage houses are set up for those kind of equities. These t- types of custodians, they focus on alternative asset classes like real estate, Bitcoin, uh, things of that nature, things that you know, aren't held at a typical custodian. So no matter what, you're going to move your money over to a custodian like this. With a checkbook account, though, once you move it over to that custodian, at the same time, whoever you choose to to work with with a service provider, they will open up an LLC at the same time. And the custodial account will actually make, they will take 100% of the shares. They will invest 100% of the funds into those shares of the LLC. At that point, you then become the manager of that LLC. You can open up a checking account and have direct control over the investments and make decisions very rapidly. I like to say that you can find a deal over breakfast and fund it by lunch. It's very quick, it's easy, and the nice thing is if you open it up with the right folks, you can actually have them, they can advise you. You know, uh, Custodians are not fiduciaries. They're not actually obligated to give you advice or, or look after your money that's in your best interest. 
But if you go with one of these uh, service providers who can actually open up an LLC, they advise your LLC, not the custodial account. And so they can help you with any kind of prohibited transactions. Uh, we could cover those maybe, but yeah, they can let you know if any investment you're making is you know, wise, if it's maybe something that you should kind of think about twice, but it's, it's just as safe and it's fast, it's effective. Annual fees are really low. They're between $130 and $180. So it, it's, it's something that I, I, I heavily advocate for. How do we find that individual? You know, that's that's not the typical uh, custodian. Uh, you know, like a Charles Schwab or something. You know that, but that we need to find so we can have checkbook control, like you're talking about. Yeah. So there's a few out there. I personally, uh, I work with two groups. Um, one of them is Safeguard Advisors. Uh, they helped my family open up seven separate accounts that are all you know, humming a lot right along. Uh, the other group is Rocket Dollar. Safeguard Advisors is the group that I was talking about that can help advise. Rocket Dollar is kind of like an online streamlined, very efficient operation, extremely low cost to, to open, extremely low cost to, to continue going on. And there's a few others out there. Those are just the two that I happen to have experience with and have found uh, very helpful. If the investor has this IRA that's just been sitting over there for years, they've been contributing to, they can contact somebody like Rocket Dollar and, and they're going to help them to convert that to a checkbook IRA. Exactly. The whole process is really simple. What I'll say is it, it's made a lot more simple if all your, your, your assets are in cash. If you keep them in stocks, the process can take a few weeks. If it's just cash, it's a matter of just opening the, the two different accounts and then wiring funds over. That can be done somewhere between two and three weeks, most likely. I've had one opened uh, in five to six days. It's just a matter of just staying on top of it. It's not a ton of moving pieces, but it's, if you keep your, your eye on it, it can actually move fairly quickly, fairly swiftly, and you'll be ready to go in no time. What, what's other management issues that we need to think about as we open this checkbook you know, IRA? Yeah, so... Things you'll want to do, is you'll, you need to kind of cover uh, your bases with what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. And so what I like to think of is I like to imagine my retirement account as if it's an entirely different person. You yourself are what's called a disqualified person. You can't really interact with your retirement account. So if you have, uh, let's say, a retirement account and you buy a rental property, you personally can't rent from that property. You can't even stay in it for free. It goes the same way with a vacation home. You can't stay in it for free. You can't benefit in any way from the actions of your retirement account. And then it goes in the other direction as well. Uh, your retirement account can't benefit from the actions of current day you. So let's say you invest in a property that needs to be flipped. You can help make decisions on crews and things like that, but you cannot pick up a hammer and swing it inside the house. That's called sweat equity. You're not allowed to actually, you cannot benefit the retirement account. They're completely separate. So all income that comes into a retirement account actually needs to be passive. So you need to be aware of these kinds of things. Additionally, there are other things like disqualified persons. I mentioned the first one was you. Other disqualified people are linear ascendants like your parents and grandparents, and then linear descendants like your children and grandchildren, and then spouses at any level also. So in-laws, but also your own spouse. Luckily, brothers and sisters are okay, aunts, uncles, cousins, nephews, anything off at the side is fine. But the nice thing is you can actually get around this by, if you recall, I mentioned that everybody needs to think of their retirement account as if it's a different person. So your disqualified people, their retirement accounts are different people as well. So you can actually, if you're using your retirement account, you can invest alongside with 
their retirement account. So you never want to invest, let's say if you're passively investing in a deal and you're using retirement funds, you can't invest in it if your spouse is using normal everyday cash. So that, that would be a prohibited transaction. But if your spouse actually uses a retirement account, your two retirement accounts can go and invest together. And that's what my family's done. We all pool our retirement accounts together in one large holding company. It makes a better use of our, our dollars overall. We can get into, you know, if, if minimums in an investment are 50 or 75, let's say they're 75, me and my two sisters, we can each put in 25, meet that minimum on a lower level personally and spread out our, our investment risk and also just overall be able to diversify our portfolio across many more deals. Nice. So, so you all created an entity and you all invested in through that entity from each of your individual accounts. Is that accurate? Exactly. Yes. Okay. So uh, interesting. Any kind of tax implications that, that you know, the individual needs to be thinking about or, or anything else that helps them to plan long term? Yeah. So there, there are essentially two different types of self-directed accounts. There's a self-directed IRA and a solo 401k. The solo 401k is completely exempt from any kind of tax. Unfortunately, the self-directed IRA has a tax implication when investing passively in multifamily. So let's cover that. When you invest in a leveraged asset, what occurs is- And you, when you say leverage, you mean has debt on it. Yeah, has debt on it. Exactly. So when Congress created the IRA, they essentially wanted to get you to look after your tax deferred dollars. They wanted you to defer tax and invest for your future. When you bring in debt, into a deal, you're actually bringing in money from outside of your retirement account and your retirement account is benefiting from that. So let's say that you invest in a deal that has 75% leverage. 25% of, of that obviously is equity. It's the down payment. 25% of that of all income that comes in is generated by your IRA and it's completely tax-free. You're never taxed on income that is derived from your equity. But when you bring in outside dollars, there is a tax on the dollars that come in from an outside source. And if it's 75% leverage for the year, you're going to pay taxes on 75% of the income. Now, on the flip side, the nice thing is because it's outside dollars, those outside dollars can actually make use of depreciation and of operating expenses. So they can use their portion of that. So if it's getting taxed at 75%, you can actually use 75% of the depreciation for the year. So it helps to offset it pretty well. Built the, I believe the industry's first UBIT calculator. And that has allowed me to kind of take a look at what returns will look like after taxes. So when I present my investors with an opportunity, I present them with not only the expected returns, but expected taxes. And what we noticed is the depreciation in the different operating expenses. They're able to offset your, your taxes, which uh, I, I should mention, I haven't actually mentioned what the name is. There's the income, which is UDFI, unrelated debt financed income. And then the tax that generates is UBIT or unrelated business income tax. And the UBIT is able to be offset for the first three to four years on most deals. So you'll be cash flowing for the first couple of years. And most of that, you know, those operating expenses will be able to wipe out the expected UBIT. When it comes to a sale, capital gains events are, they tend to be the ones that result in, in the UBIT tax impacting your, your investment. It can be a larger amount. Luckily, it, it only really presents itself. It only rears its head when you actually do have a capital gains event. What we noticed is it tends to impact on an annual basis, tends to impact your investment by about three to 4%. So, you know, a lot of multifamily deals after sale, after proceeds and appreciation, they tend to aim for somewhere around 20% annually. We see that that gets knocked down to 16 or 17. The less that, you know, 
that first number comes down, if it comes down to a 17% annual return, it gets knocked down even less and it, it kind of hovers somewhere around that 13, 14%. So it doesn't drop too far, but it kind of matches in lockstep with, you know, a three to 4% drop. So you have to keep this in mind. You know, if you're investing with your self-directed IRA, you need to understand that you will be having to pay you bit taxes. But if you take a look at the investment, and it's expecting to pump out a certain return. And you can take a step back from that and see that you're, you know, you still might generate a 16 to 17% return. As long as you understand that and have that expectation, uh, understand you're going to pay that tax and you deem that to be an investment that is still worth your time, then, you know, you can still proceed. You just need to kind of understand the whole picture. Nice. Yeah. So there, I mean, there are numerous things that we need to consider and, and think about, right? When we're going to use a uh, an IRA to invest and, and are, are there any kinds of advisors that, that you've met or that you would recommend someone speak to outside of just the custodian that will help think through the tax implications? Any kind of CPA who focuses on real estate can really help you nail down a strategy. There's some, you know, there's some implications when you, when you have to pay this tax. So let's say you go into an investment and it, it sells sometime in around, let's say right now, mid-September, late September, and you get your proceeds now and you have this large, you know, expected UBIT bill. You don't have to pay that, you know, until tax day or uh, whatever the tax day is for your account. And so you, you know, you can't go and take all of the proceeds and immediately throw them into another deal, you know, because you're going to be stuck in another opportunity down the line for the next, you know, four to five years, potentially. And it's illiquid, you know, you can't pull it out. And if you've invested all those funds, there's a tax implication of having to pay the UBIT. So what you need to do is you really need to plan ahead with you know, your CPA on these kinds of things. Someone who's familiar with, with self-directed retirement accounts, understanding when, you know, UBIT needs to be paid, how it gets reported. It's, it ends up being reported on a 990T on your tax return. So yeah, somebody who understands the process is critical when, when undergoing this. Nice. Well, any quick tips before we have to move on as far as things you've learned personally by, you know, you and your sisters using this method to invest, uh, you know, and, and grow your retirement accounts through a, using a checkbook IRA? What I would say is it's, you know, when you, when you first get started, it can be kind of daunting. There's, there's some stuff to learn. And I provide a lot of, I like to think that my website provides, you know, some great learning content that kind of distills it down into simple, easy to understand content. But, you know, when it comes down to it, once you get into the flow of things, it kind of just becomes like another account. It becomes just like cash. You understand how it needs to operate. It's just some slightly different steps. And so what I would say is just don't be intimidated by the process. Um, I have a couple of videos. They take 30 minutes to digest. And once you get through that and you understand a couple of different concepts, you're good to go for life. You know, you just, you can just keep wheeling and dealing, finding deals, vetting deals, and moving on from there. It's really no different. It's just a matter of who you can invest in, the types of deals you can get involved in. And once you understand that, it simplifies the process entirely. Josh, what's been the hardest part of this syndication journey or process for you? For me, it was acquisitions. You know, I tried uh, originally getting involved in acquisitions and it's, you know, it's, it's a hard game out there. There's a, there's just not a ton of great opportunities sometimes. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't really hammer the brokers too hard, then it's not, you know, it's, it's going to be a little, a bit of a struggle. And I found that my, my personality was better tuned towards kind of breaking down my, my background, not my background, but my family has a bunch of teachers. So I, I, for whatever reason, uh, are, I'm well attuned to helping others understand and, and 
you know, work through a process and, and kind of working it into a, kind of a, a curriculum. And so I found that I was able to provide this opportunity for folks to understand how they can get involved, how operators can get their their investors involved and, all, and understand what they can do with their current funds. So just in understanding that that point was kind of critical in, in my shift as I moved from acquisitions over to more of a educational and, and capital raising standpoint and focusing on that one niche at a time. I really like to focus on one thing at a time, make sure that I'm, I'm giving it my all on you know one specific topic. And so, yeah, uh, that's, that's the pivot was kind of hard, but it's, it's been really uh, fun and it's been rewarding. What's a way that you've improved your business recently that we can apply to ours? It comes down to the focus. You know, it's when I started this, I didn't really understand how I was going to scale. And I think the really critical and important thing here is automation and just understanding how you can communicate with your investors on a on a larger scale, you know, it's, it's tough to try to answer the same questions over and over, but especially when you're teaching something like this and you're, you're letting, you're educating others on what they can do. There's, there's only so many questions that you can ask about self-directed retirement accounts and how it applies when passively investing. And so being able to kind of automate this process and automate the touch points and the, and the education and the different topics I need to cover with my investors was really important. It's made things super simple and it's also made my messaging more clear and consistent. What's your best source for meeting new investors? My best source, I would say, is podcasts like this, helping others understand what they can do. I originally thought when I started off that my avatar was going to be, you know, a software engineer, somebody who, you know, just had had a lot of, you know, retirement funds, somebody who was had a long career and, and could maybe transition it. I found that actually my the people that I'm best serving, they are folks who are already interested in real estate and they don't really know how their retirement account can play into it. And so understanding that part has been really critical. And yeah, it's, it's, it's helped me focus once I have shifted kind of my messaging towards that. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? It's so cliche, just persistence and consistency, taking little steps every single day and just making sure you're hammering out what you need to do every single day is important. You know, you've been doing a daily podcast every single day for a long time. And and I'm sure for the first few months, it, it was and for a while, it might be frustrating. I've heard it from other people that starting a podcast is frustrating. Starting a capital raising business is frustrating because it takes a while to gain traction. But once you start getting that snowball effect and understanding that everyday inputs really make a difference, it starts to really show and, and the effect grows over time. How do you like to give back? As I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, uh, my mother passed away. She passed away from ALS. And so we really like to give back to ALS foundations. My wife and I got married last year and, you know, we, we gave a significant amount of our gifts over to ALS because, you know, it's just, it's something that impacted our family. Every family, unfortunately, has something that has, you know, touched them in, in a way. And I think it's really important to, to focus your energy on what, what impacted your family and how you can make a personal difference. Nice. Well, Josh, I'm grateful for your time. Grateful for just walking us through some actionable steps uh, to using an IRA and converting it into a checkbook so we can take control, right? Uh, and just the importance of that and how you've done that personally and how you know, you're know you helping many people through information on your website as well and the calculator that you created. Uh, you know, Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about, about you. Yeah. So if you go to my website, walltomain.com, you can find all of our lessons. We're currently offering a free PDF. It's called the top 10 tips and tricks when passively investing in multifamily with your retirement account. 
And so we give folks some relatively unknown tools that will help them make the right investing decisions. And in that website as well, we have, you know, as I mentioned, a bunch of different lessons, video and text-based, and it just helps you run through all the steps you need to take to, to get it done. Awesome. That's a wrap, Josh. Thank you very much. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.